0: Greetings friends and brethren, this is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God. I want to talk about believing Jesus, obeying, going on to perfection, building character. You know, belief in Jesus is important, but is Christianity just basically a feeling about your relationship with Jesus? Are Christians supposed to stay as they are? Is there something we're supposed to strive to do? Are we supposed to obey well, if you're supposed to obey, who or what? What about character? Is it important to build it in this life? Now, I'm going to be primarily reading from the King J- New King James Version of the Bible. And if you want to, you can follow along. I'm going to start with just one passage in Galatians 3, verse 22. But the scripture has confined all under sin, That by the promise, by faith in Jesus, might be given to those who believe. are supposed to believe and have faith in Jesus. What else? I'm going to go to Acts chapter 2. This got to do with a sermon that was given on the start, if you will, in the New Testament church. Starting in verse 38, a message that uh, Peter gave. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, that would include us, as many as the Lord our God will call. So you need to believe, you need to repent, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now it says in Romans 8, verse 9, you don't have to go there, but it says, If you're not not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not a Christian. Who ends up with the Spirit of Christ? Let's go to the book of Acts, if you're still there. We'll go to Acts chapter 5, and pick this up starting in verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So now it says who obey? Obviously it's God rather than men. Verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. So also the Holy Spirit... Rumor which God gives to those who obey Him. Holy Spirit is given to those who obey Him. So, part of a proper relationship with God is obeying Him. Christianity is more than a feeling of a relationship feeling. Faith without obedience is not what the Bible teaches for Christians. Salvation itself. Let's go to uh, Hebrews 5. Salvation itself is actually also tied in with obedience. We read in Hebrews 5, starting in verse 9, talking about Jesus at first, and having been perfected, he, that's Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation. Okay, people agree that. But notice this. He's the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus kept the commandments and was perfected and those who wish to be saved need to obey him. The Bible says that end time Christians will be keeping the commandments. For example, let's go to Revelation 12. I'd like to read something from Revelation 12 as well as Revelation 14 so that's one of the reasons I thought I'd give you a moment to get over here. Revelation 12, verse 17 talks about those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So having the testimony of Jesus Christ, okay, that means they're Christians, but notice they also are keeping the commandments of God. What commandments would be? The Ten Commandments. In the time of the end, many are not going to want people to do this. We have a booklet on this. Uh, By the way, in any book or booklet I hold up, is available free at the www.ccog.org website. That's ccog.org website, which stands for Continuing Church of God. And the beast is going to violate or want everybody to violate all the Ten Commandments. This is one of the reasons why it's a contrast in the book of Revelation. And if you go to verse 12 of chapter 14, we read something else. It says the same basic idea. It says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Accepting Jesus and keeping God's commandments are part of the elemental principles of Christ. Was that the end? Uh, No. You don't have to go there. Hebrews 6, 1 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. So we've got to go on to perfection. And how can we do that? You don't have to go there, but 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. The Apostle Paul wrote to imitate him as he imitated Jesus. Jesus kept the Ten Commandments, Apostle Paul kept the Ten Commandments. Uh, Jesus kept the Holy Days, Apostle Paul kept the Holy Days, for example. As far as Jesus goes, in Matthew 5, verse 48, he taught, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You say, but yeah, I've got all kinds of problems. Things are difficult. In 2 Corinthians uh, 12, verse 9, you don't have to go there. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. This is what he told Paul. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So we're not perfect yet in this life. You can prove that if you go to, for example, 1 John 1.10. But we're to strive for Perfection. I'm going to go to Psalm 138, verse 8. I'll give you a moment to get there. God will perfect us if we submit to His mercy. Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me, and you, hopefully. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Now, I want to go to the New Testament, book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul taught he was striving for perfection because he hadn't attained it yet. Philippians 3, starting in verse 12. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, or already accomplished it, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and we don't have to keep looking at the past, we've got to go forward, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And in Ephesians 4, Apostle Paul explained what part of the purpose of the ministry was, and that is to help Christians become perfect. Now, this time I'm going to use the Old King James, Ephesians 4, starting verse 11. And he, that's God, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the working of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of, of faith. And it talks about we're all together, all to be knit together, and not to be tossed to and fro by false doctrines. And it's not just the old King James, it talks about perfecting of the saints. I went and looked, the Brian Literal Bible, the Literal Standard Version, and the Dewey Rames, which Dewey Rames is the Catholic, all talk about the perfecting of the saints. So, whether you're Church of God, Protestant, or Catholic, or something, uh, if you believe, you're supposed to believe the New Testament, part of the reason to have a ministry is to assist with the perfecting of the saints. Now, I'd like to go to Colossians chapter 1. You know, God does not teach you're supposed to become independent to be perfected. It says you need a ministry to help you do that. But a lot of people these days don't want to go along with that. Colossians 1, starting in verse 28, the Apostle Paul wrote, Him we preach, him as Jesus, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. So Paul's saying that we want to help you to become perfect in Christ Jesus, who's working in Paul and the other ministers to do the same type of thing. Now, if you Colossians, let's go to chapter 4, starting verse 12. Apophras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. So we've got this guy, a pop, uh. uh A apaphras, who's praying for Christians to be perfected. So it's okay to pray for others for that as well, to be complete in the will of God. Now I want to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul writes, For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. So, same types of things. We see that the passages show that perfection takes time, teaching, and effort. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. say, how can I be perfected? I'm weak, I suffer all the time, all kinds of problems, things happen to me all the time. Hebrews 2 verse 10 For it was fitting for him that is Jesus for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So Jesus was perfected through sufferings but what about us? Let's go to the book of James James chapter 1 I'm going to start with verse 2 and read a fair amount there. James writes, James 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave in the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he'll receive anything for the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Verse 9. You might say, well, I'm not that important. I'm not educated or whatever. Verse 9. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass its flower falls. And the beautiful... Perishes. So the rich man will also fade away his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he's been approved, successfully going through this, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him, which are also those who obey him and who are going to uh, endure the temptations and trials. Christians have to endure. We have to be steadfast, consider our trials, not spend time complaining. Or thinking that the trials that we face have no purpose, because they do. Now I want to go to First Corinthians fifteen. Starting verse thirty three. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts bad corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame as it says in the NIV, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So yes, we need to be careful about who we're around, the company we keep. That also in this age includes the entertainment that you watch or listen to or whatever. Now, aren't Christians saved by grace? Yes, that's what we read in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. I'll start with verse 8. Should be a very familiar passage to all of you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. We are created for good works. We have a book, The Mystery of God's Plan. Why did God create anything? Why did God make you? It explains what God's plan is for you. Everything you've gone through, tests, trials, successes, sufferings preparing you to be able to give love in a unique way to make eternity better for yourself and everyone else who will accept God's offer of salvation. This book or booklet or any other ones again I hold up are available at the ccog.org website. You go to the literature tab under books and booklets and you can find them. We don't ask for your email address. We don't ask for money. We don't ask for there's no suggested donation. Okay, so you can read these. And these are all scripture-filled books that we hold, that I'll be holding up. Now, some who profess Christ say think they have faith. They don't need to obey God. They don't think they have to build character or truly strive for perfection. Apparently, the Apostle James ran into the same argument. I'm going to go to James chapter 2. There are people who claim to have faith, to believe, but they didn't have the appropriate behavior or works to back it up. So James wrote, James 2, starting in verse 18. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. By works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. For he was called a friend of God. You see that the man is justified by works and not by faith only which is one of the reasons why, by the way, Martin Luther didn't like the book of James, called the Epistle of Straw. He didn't want to believe it. If you are Protestant, we I urge you strongly to study a, a free book that we have called Hope of Salvation, How the Continuing Church of God Differs from Protestantism. We go into Protestant history, you go into lots and lots of scriptures. I had a Protestant recently say, she didn't want to read this book because she just believes the Bible. I urged her to read this book because if she do believe the Bible, you will not end up as Protestant. Uh, I don't know that she was willing to do that. This is something I got through email. But hopefully, you're willing to believe the truth. People like Martin Luther had difficulty with various books of the Bible, including James. James. Uh, going back to what James wrote, this time starting verse uh, 25, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now I'd like to read something from Hebrews chapter 3, starting verse 17. Now, with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? We see they could not enter in because of unbelief. People who do not obey really don't believe. They really don't have proper faith, despite statements they'll make to the contrary. And by the way, if each of us had perfect faith including those who are striving to obey, we would never disobey. So anytime you disobey, you realize you don't have perfect faith yet. That's part of why God allows us to suffer. You don't have to go there, but 1 Peter 5, verse 10, Peter was inspired to write, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. It takes effort to become perfect and God's help. Now I want to go to 1 John 4. 1 John 4, start with verse 17. Love has been perfected among us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Love is to be perfected in us. And 1 John 4, verse 4, and 1 John 4, verse 18, John wrote, God is love. We need to be like God, and God is love. Love is to be perfected in Christians. Now I want to go the Old Testament you don't have to go there I'm going to read Psalm 19 verse 7 the Bible teaches that God's law if, if properly understood is perfect Psalm 19 verse 7 the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul the testament of the Lord is sure making a simple making wise is simple yes the law of God is involved in conversion And to convert, you have to know what you have to repent of, and that would be sin, according to Acts uh, 2.38 and 3.19. What is sin? I'm going to read from uh, three different translations. First one's the Old King James, 1 John 3.4. 1 John 3.4. Sin is the transgression of the law. Or as it's worded in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, sin is the breaking of the law. Which, by the way, in a more modern translation, the good news translation, says sin is a breaking of the law. Now, in Psalm 19, and I guess I should have had you go there, I want to uh, continue reading there, starting in verse 8. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. The, commandments of the, Lord, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous together. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Well, do you value God's judgments more than money? Well, you should. Now let's go to verse 12. Now who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Yes, we have faults we don't quite recognize. Particularly if you've been single a long time or all your life, you get married, you can find out things you didn't think you had issues with. You might find that some you, should, you do need to work on. mean, anyway, verse 13. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Now I've mentioned James a few times and I want to go back to the book of James. I want to read from chapter 1 and chapter 2, but some parts I haven't read yet. James 1 starting verse 22. Be you be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and is not a doer, he's like a man who observes his natural face in the mirror for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, you're not just supposed to look at it, you're supposed to obey, and is not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And sometimes people think they would be blessed by breaking the Sabbath or lying or stealing or something, and it's like, no. <laughs> now, Let's go to the second chapter of James, this time start in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. James said this is the perfect law of liberty. The royal law is to love one's neighbor, and this is a reference to God's commandments. Now, I mentioned about Martin Luther having some issues with James. In April 2014, I caught a few minutes of some Protestant preacher, and I didn't catch his name. But he was referring to Matthew 5, so I'm going to... Verses 17 to 18. So I want to read what Jesus said there. Do not think I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one, one jot or tittle will by no way pass the law till all is fulfilled. Now, at first when I heard this guy, I thought he was going to be telling his followers to keep God's law. Instead, he ended up saying, Jesus fulfilled the law. He was killed. Therefore, he basically taught Jesus came to destroy the law of God. And sadly, it seemed like his followers were accepting this explanation despite being contrary to uh, the Bible. And as I say, we've got more information about some of these things, and for example, these two books if you happen to be Protestant or even if you're not, particularly this one. As far as uh, church history goes, this is one area that Protestants lack a lot of knowledge about because it hurts their leaders. Other than certain recognized apostates, such as the heretic Simon Magus, Marcion, the Gnostic leaders, and their followers, those known to have professed Christ in the first uh, couple of centuries AD believed that the law, at least the Ten Commandments, were still in effect. Now, those people understood the language that the New Testament was written in, which is Koine Greek, because it was their native language, better than modern Protestant scholars do. And they all understood that they were supposed to keep the Ten Commandments, or at least strive to do so. Jesus did not teach he was going to do away to the Ten Commandments. Jesus had a warning, though, for people who would profess him. This is, I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 7, start reading verse 21. He had a warning for those who were going to profess him, did not do what he wanted. Matthew 7, starting verse 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. To do the will means to do something. In this case, is obey God. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. Some of the Pentecostal types, etc. come to mind here. And some uh, of the Greco-Romans. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I quoted uh, 1 John 3, 4 before, but the New King James actually says, whoever commits sin commits lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness. What about the Apostle Paul? Let's go to Romans chapter 6. What then? I'm sorry, starting with verse 15. Romans 6:15. What then, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey? Whether it's of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. So yes, the Apostle Paul taught obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form a doctrine to which you were delivered. You've been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of of your flesh. For just as you present your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Now, you might be wondering about sin, the law, and righteousness. Does anywhere in the Bible define righteousness? Yes. Psalm 119, verse 172, for example, says my tongue shall speak of your word for all your commandments are righteousness Psalm 119 123 says your righteous word Psalm 40 verses 8 to 9 says I delight to do your will O my God and your laws within my heart that was one of my old memory scriptures I proclaim the good news of righteousness in the great assembly indeed I do not restrain my lips O Lord you yourselves know and to go further back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 25, then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all of these commandments before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Now, I want to read two prophecies concerning Jesus. One is Psalm 98, verse 9. You don't have to go there. It says, For he is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness he will judge the world and the people with equity. Now I want to go to Revelation 19 verse 11. I'll give you a moment to get there. Revelation 19 verse 11 says, "Now I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war." Well, Jesus judges in righteousness? Won't that be based on the laws and the word of God? Certainly. For example, in Revelation 20, verse 12, cutting into the verse, it says, the dead were judged according to their works and by the things which were written in the books. Now, Hebrews 11, and that's where we're going to go next, is often referred to as a faith chapter of the Bible. Starting in verse 32 of Hebrews 11, we read, And what more shall I say? For the time... Would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, also of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made st- strong. Yes, they were weak too. Don't think, oh, they're just so great compared to you. No, out of weakness they were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to the flight the enemies of the aliens. Righteousness is something that the faithful worked and weakness they were made strong. Now let's go to 1 John 3. Some have been deceived that they don't have to keep God's commandments. Apparently that was a problem with some of the heretical apostates that were around the time of the Apostle John. So here's some of what he wrote, starting verse 7, 1 John 3. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he was born of God. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Christians were to are to practice righteousness, avoid sin, and strive to be perfect. Now that was also the position of Polycarp of Smyrna, who was somebody matter of fact we have a uh, a supposed to be on um, cover like here, who was ordained by the original apostles. He wrote, He who raised him up from the dead will raise us up also if we do his will, walk in his commandments, love what he has loved, keeping ourselves from all unrighteousness, covetousness, love of money, evil speaking, false witness, not rendering evil for evil, railing for railing, blow for blow, or cursing for cursing. Okay, so... He says we will be raised up if we do his will and walk in his commandments he knew the original apostles and that's what he understood and he also wrote these things brethren I write to you concerning righteousness if you carefully study you will find to be the means of building you up in the faith which has been given you and which being followed by hope and preceded by love towards God in Christ and our neighbor is the mother of us all if any be inwardly possessed of these graces, he's fulfilled the command of righteousness. Since he that has love is far from all sin. And he's writing here in his letter to the Philippians. I trust that you're well versed in the sacred scriptures, and nothing is hid from you. One of the reasons I wanted to mention that is we have a book who gave the world the Bible. And Polycarp is telling the Philippians they have all the scriptures, and some people have questioned that. And if you're interested in a fairly documented and somewhat scholarly book on this particular subject, it's also free at ccog.org. This is declared in the scriptures. Uh, uh, Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go on your wrath. Happy is he who remembers this. But may the God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself, who is the Son of God, our everlasting High Priest, build you up in faith and truth and all meekness, meekness, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, forbearance, and purity, which would seem to be associated with obedience. And may he bestow on you a lot and portion among the saints and on us with you. You are all under heaven that we, we shall believe in our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, and his Father also, who raised him from the dead pray all for the saints pray also for kings and potentates and princes for all who persecute and hate you that your fruit may be manifest to all that you may be perfect in him so Polycarp understood the same thing so what teaching here today is not some new idea that I just came up with or perhaps uh, somebody in the 19th or 20th century came up with Polycarp was writing in the 2nd century Jesus was in the first century. The Apostle John lived until the end of the first century, and Polycarp was teaching things he had learned from the disciples and from the Bible. Ephesians two ten mentioned it says, "For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them." We're created to be engaged in good works. God has good works. You see that in Genesis chapter 1. Walking in God's ways help build character. While the Bible mentions that striving for perfection is important to Christians, it also teaches that such striving lives to building character. and Character includes your reputation. Uh, you can see that. Uh, you don't have to go there. Proverbs 20 verse 11 says, even a child is known by his deeds. What well, he does is uh, pure and right. But I'm going to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. It says that, then the 12, of oh, starting verse 2. 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, seek, therefore, brethren, seek out among you seven men of good reputation. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, we should appoint over these matters. Yes, we're supposed to have a good reputation. And similarly, you see the same thing in 1 Timothy, we're not going to read this, uh, 3, 1 through 7, talking about uh, uh, bishops or pastors. And of course, some have have titles but bad reputations. Jesus dealt with that. Let's go to Matthew 23, starting verse 25. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. The scribes are educated because everyone's doing the writing. Not everybody could write back then. The Pharisees were leaders. Hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Those who don't want to obey are involved in self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, that the outside might be clean also. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites, you're like the whitewash tombs, which indeed appear beautifully beautiful outwardly. Okay, you got the right education, the right training, you're great speakers maybe, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and are all uncleanness. Even so, you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness, which again, one of the reasons I'm holding up this particular book and recommending people read it. And if you're not Protestant, you might find this one useful. And even if you are Protestant, you might find them both helpful. Again, available at ccfg.org. Second Corinthians chapter eleven. Sometimes people look like they're really good when they're not. 2 Corinthians 11, starting verse 14, the Apostle Paul wrote, And the wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing, as his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. However, those truly, whose truly strive for perfection, and not hypocrisy, Will, with God's help, build the type of genuine character God wants His people to have. Let's go to Romans 5. Starting verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into His grace in which we stand. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance character and character hope. Now I want to go to Philippians chapter 2. So yes, we go through things which will help us build character. So we will be more useful to ourselves and everybody else. In the... uh, final phases of the kingdom of God or the later phases I shouldn't say not the final because it doesn't end Philippians 2 starting verse 19 but I trust in the Lord Jesus sent Timothy to you shortly that I might also be encouraged when I know your state for I have no one like minded who will sincerely care for your state for all seek their own not the things which are of Christ Jesus but you know his proven character that as a son with his father he served me in the gospel Character is built as one strives for perfection and will endure to the end. Now in the 2nd century, Ignatius of Antioch, who knew Polycarp, by the way, he taught about love, character, and Christ living his life in Christians. Because he wrote in his letter to the Magnesians, the believing have in love the character of God the Father by Christ, Jesus Christ, by whom, if we are not in readiness to die in his passion, his life is not in us. In other words, Ignatius is say, "Look, if you're not willing to give it all up, you know, you're not, you're not truly a Christian, but you should have God's character." The uh, late Herbert W. Armstrong, who was the pastor general of the Old Worldwide Church of God, he wrote a fair amount about character, and I do want to go through a, a fair amount of this. So uh, please bear with me here. He wrote. In uh, his book called *The Mystery of the Ages*, the human spirit of itself cannot see, hear, think, or know. The only real life, inherent and self-containing, lies in the Holy Spirit of God, united with the human spirit. At death, and then he's quoting Ecclesiastes 12:7, "Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it." The spirit is the depository of memory and character the spirit is like a mold it retains even the human form and shape of the deceased so that in the resurrection of judgment those who have died to look as they did in life retain whatever character they established in life remember everything was stored in their memory but in the meantime in death there is no consciousness they know not anything Ecclesiastes 9, five. now there's something else he wrote in the mystery of the ages why the creator God put man on the earth for God's ultimate supreme purpose was reproducing himself or recreating himself as it were by the supreme objective of creating the righteous divine character ultimately in millions of unnumbered begotten and born children who shall become God beings, members of God's family. And this will be uh, tens of billions we think or more. Man was to improve the physical earth as God gave it to him, finishing the creation which the sinning angels had deliberately refused to do, and in doing so to restore the government of God with God's way of life and further in the very process of finishing the creation of man by the development of God's holy, righteous character with man's own assent. So in other words, you have to agree you want to do this. So we hope you've accepted God's calling, truly accepted it. Not just a little bit, but totally getting back to his writings once this perfect and righteous character is instilled in man the man converted from mortal flesh to immortal spirit then is to come the incredible human potential man being born into the divine family of God which happens at the resurrection restoring the government of God on the earth and then participating in the completion of the creation over the entire endless expanse of the universe God shall have reproduced himself untold millions of times over so on the sixth day of the recreation week God said, as Elohim, Genesis 1, 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Man was to have, with his assent, or consent, saying, okay, a special relationship with his maker. He was made in the form and shape of God. He was given the spirit, essence and form, to make that relationship possible. Now, Herbert Armstrong wrote about this in other books, too. He wrote, for example, the following from a book called The Incredible Human Potential. So mark well this super vital truism that perfect, holy, and righteous character is the supreme feat of accomplishment possible by Almighty God the Creator. It's also the means to His ultimate supreme purpose, His final objective. But how? Such perfect character must be developed. It requires free choice and decisions of separate entity in whom it to be created. You have to decide if you're going to obey or not. But further... Even then, it must be instilled by and from the holy God who only has such righteous character to endow. Perfect, holy, and righteous character is the ability and such separate entity to come to discern the true and right way from the false, to make voluntarily a full and unconditional surrender to God in his perfect way, to yield to be conquered by God, to determine even against temptation or self-desire to live and to do the right. And even then, such holy character is a gift of God. It comes by yielding to God to instill His law, God's right way of life, within the entity who so desires and wills, who decides and wills. Actually, His perfect character only comes from God as instilled within the entity of His creation upon voluntary acquiescence, however, you have to accept it, even after severe trial and test. God made us in His image after His likeness, form and shape, only composed of matter instead of spirit. But God said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And that's Philippians 2, verse 5. And I'm going to also read a bit from something he wrote called uh, Why Why Were You Born? A lot of people don't know that. Um, And he's got some things in the book that are, 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 are very good, but uh, also for more information about why you're born or why God made anything. And as I said, I held up, I said earlier, we have a book, Mystery of God's Plan Why did God uh, create anything? Why did God make you? Anyway, he talks about in this other booklet, it says, how Christ was made perfect. And he says, now grasp this. He's quoting from Hebrews to to make the captain of our salvation, Christ, the captain of our salvation, or as a pioneer who's gone ahead before us, made captain of our salvation perfect. How through suffering. And notice verse eleven. He's not ashamed to call them brethren. Christ in glory is not ashamed to call us who have His Holy Spirit, who rely on Him, him rely on and obey Him, brethren. And he cites Hebrews 5, 8 through 9. Though he were a son, he learned... Learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of our salvation to all those who obey him. And I quoted that before. There it is again. Jesus the author of our salvation. He wrote the salvation by his experience. That was the first writing. He was the first ever human to obtain it, to be perfected, finished as a perfect character. Jesus learned he suffered... But out of it came perfection. Do you see? Do you begin to understand? Satan didn't upset God's plan. All that's happened, God foreknew and permitted for a purpose. Redemption is not a repairing of damage. It's not the restoring of condition just as good as Adam and Eve before the so-called fall. No, it was merely the beginning, the material creation. Redemption is the great spiritual creation. In it, God is creating in us something infinitely superior to Adam before he sinned. You see what God's creating in you and me now. He's created something higher than the angels and archangels. He's creating the supreme masterpiece of his creation. Holy, perfect, righteous, spiritual character. And what is that? And here he says, Perfect character such as God's creating in us is a person finally made immortal who is a separate entity from God who through independent free choice has come to know and to choose and to do what is right. And that means to believe and know what God instructs is what is right. An inanimate rock will roll down a hill because of gravity. Water runs through its channels through creeks. Great planets, many times larger than ours, must travel in God's ordained course. These things are marvelous examples of the creative power of God. That these things are inanimate, they have no mind, no free choice, no character. And dumb animals, they don't sin, they don't know enough to sin, they act by instinct or according to the training of others, they don't have character, real character. Character is possession and practice of love, patience, mercy, faith, kindness, gentleness, meekness, temperance, self-restraint, and self-direction. He didn't put it down there, but that's uh, from Galatians 5. Character involves knowledge, wisdom, purpose, ability, all properly controlled and developed through independent choice. Holy, righteous character is something that's only developed through experience, which is why I keep saying uh, obedience is part of that. Experience requires time and circumstance, and God creates time, and God creates circumstance, which to produce character. God first formed out of the dust, flesh and blood man, in the image of God. And through 7,000 years of experience, God is taking the human family through a process, The results of which, now he cites 1 Corinthians 5, 49, as we have borne the image of the earthy, mortal, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly, Jesus, immortal, the second Adam. Yes, once fashioned, shaped, molded according to God's purpose, we shall be like him, for we'll see him as he is, 1 John 3, 1 through 2. There's two broad principles of God's way, God's law, summed up in the Ten Commandments. Satan's way of competition, greed, and vanity. All suffering, all unhappiness, fear, misery, death is coming from the transgression of God's law. Living by the great law of love, then, is the only way to peace, happiness, and joy. And we, have, we go through this through experiences. We have suffering and the stuff the character is made out of. He says, now if you go through all this, once this godly character is development, developed in us, what would it be like in resurrection. Already now in this life, the truly converted Christian having God's Holy Spirit dwelling within, being led by God's Spirit, is the Son of God. So in prayer, Christians call God Father. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, you are now the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. What we shall be is not now apparent, does not appear to be, is not yet seen but continuing from John, but we know that when he shall appear, we'll be like him, and we shall see him as he is. Our appearance then will be like Christ is now. How does he look now? And he goes to uh, Revelation 1, verses 14 through 16. His head and hairs are white like wool, white as snow, eyes are like flames of fire, feet burning with uh, fine brass, they're burning in the furnace like the sounds of many waters. The countenance was like the sun in full strength. Once actually born of God, entering his kingdom, his family, by the resurrection we shall be composed of spirit. We'll be like God, like Christ. Now is completely sinless. Then he cites first John three nine. Whoever is born of God does not commit sin, for sin remains in him, for he cannot sin because he's born of God. Then he cites Romans eight twenty nine. First he says that Christ was born by God in his, by his resurrection, so shall we be. Romans eight twenty nine. For whom he did for no, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, means to be, to be have character like Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We need to follow Christ and uh, physical sufferings uh, help us go through toward perfection. Now, I want to go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Starting verse 13. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. Your faith is empty. But there is a resurrection. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4. Once you go there, we'll start with verse 13. 1 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13. Paul writes, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, lest you sorrow like others who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, that by the word of the Lord, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord therefore comfort one another with these words Christians basically are supposed to be pity for the way we live if there's no resurrection but there is and because there is we have a comforting hope Now, I'd like to read some other things the Apostle Paul wrote Romans 8, verse 18. You don't have to go there. He wrote, For I consider the sufferings this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now I'm going to just read one verse, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for him who loved him. In other words, the Apostle Paul is teaching living the Christian way of life is more than worth it. We have a booklet, by the way, Christians, ambassadors to the kingdom of God, which will help you if you're interested in living as a true Christian. Now I want to go to uh, John 14 to, I'm going to read this from uh, a New American Standard translation. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, but we're not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Now I'm going to read the words of Jesus. Why don't we go to Matthew 16, starting verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For desires to, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it, will find it. For what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? For what will man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in glory. Of the Father with his angels. He will reward them each according to his work. And you don't have to go there, but the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 8, each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 4, Old King James said that Satan was the God of this world, or it says New King James, the God of this age. Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world in John 12, verse 31. The world does not truly respect God's laws, but they go the way of Satan. And Christians are supposed to live a different way of life than the world. Matter of fact, the Bible refers to this as the way in places like Acts 24.14, 24.22, or the way of the Lord, as it says in Acts 18, verse 25. It's also called the way of truth in uh, 2 Peter 2.2, 2, or the way of righteousness is 2 Peter 2.21. Now, as far as Peter goes, let's go to uh, 2 Peter. Chapter 1, I want to read uh, uh, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, if you're in 2 Peter, I want to go a couple more chapters over to chapter 3, and we'll pick pick this up in verse 17. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked. But instead, you're supposed to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. The Christian life is not static. We're supposed to grow in grace and knowledge. Now I'm going to go to the book of Proverbs and uh, read a couple of them. I'm going to read Proverbs 10, verse 14. Then Proverbs uh, 23, 23. Proverbs 10, 14. Wise people store up knowledge. Proverbs, 10, Proverbs 20, 23 says, Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Now let's go to the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 5. And yes, we're covering lots of scriptures. Of course, frequently, often I do that. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting verse 15. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Now I want to go to Colossians 1, starting verse 9. Colossians 1, verse 9, through 11, actually. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with all with the knowledge of his will, and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So it's not static. Knowledge is you're supposed to grow in knowledge. So that you may walk worthy in the Lord. Knowledge so you can obey and walk properly. Fully pleasing him. Being fruitful in every good work. Now this is. It's also something you're supposed to be doing. And increasing in the knowledge of God, strength with all might, according to his glory, glorious power for all patience, and long-suffering with joy. So notice he's got suffering associated with this too. So it's not like, okay, you're going to get all this stuff great and you won't have any problems. It's not what it says. Now, knowledge comes from the word of God, comes from sermons. It says in uh, uh, Romans 10, for example, 14 to 17. Of course, to change... It's not easy. It's often resisted. You know, religious leaders in Jesus' day were sort of like spiritual stick in the muds. They weren't noted for their open-mindedness or were willing to change themselves. Jesus came bringing uh, light and truth, as it says in uh, John 12 and 14, but most of the world rejected this light, even those who thought they were God's people. You don't have to go there. In John one, 1, excuse me, John 1 eleven. it says, He came to his own. His own did not receive him. The religious leaders were not able to accept new understanding he brought forth from God the Father. Jesus, in a sense, rocked their boat. He was a disturbance of the status quo. You might think that the Sadducees and Pharisees should have changed. And they should have. But well, what about you? It's been claimed that academically, the Pharisees were unable to resist the wisdom of which Christ spoke. But that emotionally they resist to the point of uh, killing him. That attitude and spirit of the tradition-bound Pharisees lives today, and as many of those who profess Christ resist uh, change to, to the original faith. Now I've held up this book about Protestantism a few times, and you might say well, you're not Protestant, so it's not uh, relevant. But maybe you are. But also, I would also have a book called Beliefs of the Original Catholic Church, also available at ccg.org. Because if you are a Greco-Roman Catholic, I mean Eastern Orthodox or Roman Catholic, uh, which include Russian Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox, whatever, Greek, you may not be growing in the faith and changing the way early Christian said you should have, and the Bible says you should, since the book is also available. Now, James four, I'm gonna start in verse seven. And don't be like the, the stubborn Pharisees and Sadducees. What are we supposed to do? James wrote, James Four starting in verse seven. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You don't have to go there, but 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have come new. And we're not supposed to hold to non-biblical traditions, which most who profess Christianity today do. And yes, I held up these books on purpose for those who want to prove this, or want more proof. The way we're supposed to change is to be positive, and to positively change our future those who are called of God are supposed to strive to live according to his law but yes we have tests and trials that help build a certain type of character the character could be considered a testimony of our conscience now that's 2 Corinthians 1.12 from the Rheims New Testament why would God want Christians to obey and build character and to strive to be perfect like him because deification is part of the plan of God Herbert Armstrong mentioned that. but Let's go to John 10, verse 34, sorry, verse 34. Jesus taught deification. Jesus answered them, John 10, 34, it is not written, Your law? I said, You are gods. And He called them gods to whom the word came, and the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of Him whom the Father sanctified and sent the world, You are blaspheming because you said, I am the Son of God? And this was not only referring to Jesus' deification, because Jesus was quoting Psalm 82, verse 6, which is now I'm going to read, which has in the plural, I said you are gods, plural, all of you are children of the Most High. God wants godly offspring. And we can see this also in the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 2. This is why God made humans male and female and created marriage. prophet Malachi was inspired to write, Melchizedek 2, verse 14, she is your companion, the wife by covenant. But he did not make them one, having a remnant of spirit. And why one? He, wanted, he seeks godly offspring. Now, let's go to the New Testament. The book of Acts, chapter 17. You say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. Well, it was still true. But Acts 17, starting with verse 17. Uh, 28, we read something that Paul says. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. Verse 29. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, so Paul was agreeing with the Greek poets on that point, we ought not to think the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something that is shaped by art or man's devising. Now, when he wrote about real Christians, Apostle Paul specifically wrote that we're supposed to have the mind of Christ 1 Corinthians 2.16 and we're supposed to strive to have that and more let's see some are going to, will exercise their physical bodies to try to resemble what they think will be better physical image of themselves and that's fine, I'm going to go to 1 Timothy 4 but Godliness also needs to be developed. 1 Timothy 4, starting verse 7, Timothy is told by Paul, Reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having a promise of life that now is and which is to come. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 9. starting verse 24. The Apostle Paul wrote, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? You know, many will do, endure a lot of hardships for physical rewards, but we need to, to endure and develop spiritual ones. Paul writes, Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for a prize is temperate in all things. Now they do to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for imperishable crown. Therefore, I run this, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it to subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. So, the Apostle Paul didn't think, oh, I can just coast because my past service, and neither should we. He wrote in 2 Timothy two twelve. If we endure, we shall reign with him. As far as the reigning goes, Revelation five verse ten. It says, "We shall reign in the earth." We're supposed to be like Jesus and reign with him, and we need to endure and truly build character. God can't have future rulers that can't be trusted. God doesn't need to have. Not going to have. A, was not going to have another future Lucifer. Uh, who's going to be uh, 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 in, in, his, in his kingdom. Okay, uh, that's, We're not going to have uh, eternal God, godly Lucifer, Satan. It's just, it's just not the way it's going to go. Now the whole creation is waiting for us to be called and converted. As it says in Romans 8, verse 21, the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into glorious liberty as children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs even till now. And with Christ we are going to rule the universe. I'm not going to read Hebrews 2 verses uh, uh, 5 through the end of the chapter or Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. But it, it does say that the kingdom, the world to come, is going to be put under us. And you can read that in more depth, which is one of the reasons why we have to accept the calling that we have. I do think I want to go to uh, Hebrews 3, verse 1, though. I skipped over Hebrews 2, but read verse, starting verse 1 of Hebrews 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the holy heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who is faithful to him who appointed him. And he had to suffer too. As Moses was also faithful in all his house, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. Verse 6, But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope to the end. That means to endure and keep going. Christians are to believe, obey, and build character and strive for perfection. So are Christians finished once they accept Jesus as Savior and are baptized? No. According to Jesus, we have to endure. We have to strive for perfection and allow God to build perfect character within us. Those who are actually living the Christians realize that the weekly Sabbath and annual Holy Days teach us that we're not complete. The seventh-day week ends with the weekly Sabbath, of rest, which is the Holy Convocation. It's a time to learn the Word of God. Although God made days, most Greco-Roman Protestants don't think that the seventh day of the week is uh, particularly important. Yet, in Hebrews 4, I want to read some passages. This time I'm going to read it from the literal standard version, because the King James and New King James make an intentional mistranslation of this. Hebrews 4.4 4 says, God rested in the seventh day from all his works. That's in most translations, but it's verse 9, and I want to go to. There remains then a Sabbath rest, the people of God, for he who entered in this rest also rested from his works as God from his own. May we be diligent then to enter that rest that no one may fall in the same example of unbelief. So note that not keeping the Sabbath is an example of unbelief. Similar things about the holy days. But what I'd like to do now is to read Hebrews 5:9 again, which says, "And having been perfected, he that's Jesus became the author of salvation, eternal salvation to all who obey him." Notice that your eternal salvation is tied in with obedience. Now, for those who think the Sabbath day is not one of those matters of obedience, you should remind themselves that the obedience to the Sabbath keeping was discussed a few verses prior to this in Hebrews 4.9. So be careful that you don't have proper rationalizations why you don't have to obey God in one or more aspects of your life, including, for example, uh, the Sabbath. I want to uh, read from Colossians 3. Starting in verse 1. I want to read actually a fair amount from this. The Apostle Paul wrote, If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden in Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, because you're supposed to obey, in which you also yourself once walked when you were in them. But Verse 8, But now you yourselves are to put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge of according to the image of him who created him. Where there is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. So it doesn't matter what your ethnic group background is. Verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must do also but above these things put on love which is the bond of perfection and let the God of peace rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord and whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ giving thanks to God through him will you do that Christians need to believe, obey, grow in grace, and build character. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.